The views expressed in the podcast you are about to listen to are the opinions of the presenter and the cast. None of us are official representatives of the companies we work for, and we are in no way responsible for what we say. If you are offended or otherwise afflicted by these opinions, please push the unsubscribe button in iTunes and go do something else. Animation Conversation Podcast for September 28th, 2008. I'm Alan Dahl and I'll be guiding you through the show. Today is Sunday and I encourage you to sit down, have a cup of tea as I did and listen to part two of my interview with Keith Lango. Before the interview starts, we would like for you to go visit animationconversation.com there you can find the show notes and contact information, plus info on how to donate to the show. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. We are still looking for a sponsor for the show, so if you own or know someone who owns an animation-related company who would want to advertise with us, please send an email to feedback at animationconversation.com. Here is the ninth Animation Conversation podcast, recorded June 27th, 2008. Enjoy. Could you say some more about your approach to animation? Do you use a mirror? Do you videotape yourself? Did you ever take acting classes? I've taken acting classes, usually assigned with um, various studios. I took a couple at Big Idea, one or two at DNA. I may have taken one um, in between there somewhere. I mean, I've taken a number of acting classes. I've, I'm, uh, I'm friends with Ed Hooks, who's big acting with animators guy. And I remember when Ed moved to Chicago back when we were at Big Idea and just meeting with him and, and having Ed come in and do some classes and stuff. So yeah, done done the acting stuff um, quite a bit. Acting is a very different approach. I mean, animation is acting, but it's by anima- it's acting by proxy. Um, yeah. The the actor, and it took me a long time to figure out why does it sometimes works, why does it doesn't. The actor is using his own body as a puppet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's pretending. He uses. You know, method acting is pretty much just tricking your mind and your body into thinking that it is something that it's not. Um, and so you use these various methodologies, these various things, the, the, the tools and, and the techniques, and you're really just trying to trick your own body and your, into behaving a certain way. Yeah. And you do that emotionally, psychologically, intellectually. Um, an animator, none of that's particularly applicable because we're not using our own bodies as puppets. We're using this thing, this either the drawings or the you know the CG puppet or the stop motion puppet. We're using something else to yeah. express that. 
Um, and it's the physical rules too. We we know the rules and we know how to break them. Yeah, yeah. There's there's far more of a of an outside in approach to animation. You know, actors are told never think about what your body's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, hit your marks and that's it. You know, like stand where you're supposed to stand. That's about as far as they go. Yeah. And they say just be and your body will do what it's supposed to do and it will be sincere. Animators can't do that. You know, we are – our stock and trade is understanding what the body is doing. So we have to kind of – we approach it from the outside in. We can't just say, well, let the character be and it will be sincere. No, it will just be there. It won't do anything. <laughs> it's not driven from the inside out. It's driven by us pulling it from the outside. So it's it's a different approach. Um, I don't – do a lot of video of myself. I've tried it, and every time I've tried it, I've always thought that the the results were lackluster. I never liked the shot after I was done with it. Um, and that's, you know, and I, I was always thinking, was well, that just, is there something wrong with me? Am I not doing it right? And then I came across <laughs> those old audio notes from Milt Call, mm. and he was saying, you know, you got a lo- bunch of guys around here who rely on, on, you know, the film action, the live action. And he says they use it as a crutch. And I thought, well, that's pretty harsh. But I can see what he's saying because instead of taking the time to see the character in your head performing this thing and understanding the character from the inside out, sometimes it's easier to just get up and act it out yourself a bunch of times, find something that works. And what you get, the plus side is you get very naturalistic motion that's convincing. It's very convincing. Yeah. Um, and you get stuff, and you're able to see the, the details, and you can get your poses right, and you can push them a little bit, and you get your timing right, and you can push it a little bit. And, and for somebody who isn't as experienced as an animator to be able to see that stuff in their head, it gives them a good thing to kind of work from. Yeah. Um, but an older animator generally doesn't – I mean, I'll, I'll just give you an example. The, the best 2D animators that are working in the world today – generally don't film themselves very much, if at all. I mean, I worked with Ken Duncan. He never filmed himself. I know James Baxter never films himself. Glenn Keane doesn't film himself. You know, these guys don't film themselves. Deja doesn't film himself. These guys don't do that because they see it in their head. And what they'll do, they use live action as reference. They'll study it. Like if you're going to do, you know, for instance, Deja was doing Scar and Lion King. Well, he studied lions moving and he studied reference footage and he would go to the zoo and watch them and draw them and so he would understand a lion but he would never take a video clip of a lion walking and then use that as the basis of a shot no you know what i mean so yeah it's just it's just you know it's something that recently more cg animators are doing um and it's you know it's something that myself i was i was never happy with the results when i did it um i felt like i limited myself but it's good training, isn't it? It is, yeah. If you're younger and you and this is where, I think this is where it came from. This is you know allow me to kind of <laughs> theorize a little bit here, but I think it came from the 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 change in how studios hire and assign animators um, hmm. because twenty years ago or thirty years ago, if you wanted to be an animator, the usual way of doing things is you you know, there wasn't any computer stuff. So you came in and you were an apprentice or, you know, an in-betweener or an assistant animator. And you learned how to read charts. You learned how to think like an animator. You learned how to, in between, you learned how to all these things. What, and as you were working for your, your key animator, he, you know, you would learn what overlap is. You would learn what arcs are. You would learn what eases are. You would learn how to put weight into things because 
they would, you know, constantly teach and train and correct your work. Yeah. And as through so through a process of osmosis, through, you know, some guys it was only a year doing that, some other guys came in and did it right away. Um and some guys were assistants for four or five years. But however long it took you to get to that point, there comes a point where you kind of get it and you, you can be an animator and you can do scenes and you kind of understand the animator's way. Well, with CG studios, uh, so many of them starting up now, uh, there, is no, there is no apprenticeship or development program. They, they hire a kid from school. They put him in a seat and they say, give us shots. Hmm. And they have no ta- they have no time to learn, they have no time to really learn the ropes. It's just sink or swim. Yeah. And so I can see why. Gosh, I got to get this shot done. I got to make it look good. I don't know what to do. There's a video camera. I'll just get up and act in front of it, and I'll use that as a basis. And I can see where that would develop because these guys are thrown into pressure situations uh, very early in their careers when they haven't even really developed their own way of doing things. Yeah. Um, and so, and then it was successful for them. And as they go and anything we're good at, anything we find success at, we think that's the way it should be. And as they get older, you know, they continue that methodology. And then as they become teachers, they teach others that methodology. And so it, it kind of, kind of rolls along. It's like, you know, you know, it's like Lassiter being thrown into a computer saying, I don't know how to make this thing work. So he finds a way that works. (laughs) It does. Okay. He teaches other guys, they make success with it. They teach other people. And that's how the the way to animate and CG happens. Yeah. And so what we're finding here is people thrown into situations and I think they're just looking for a way to make it work and they found a way to make it work and they go on. And it's not the way most traditional animators work, but it works for them. Yeah. So. And what I find find useful is sometimes just sometimes just to get up and like do the jump or whatever and just figure it just feel how that jump feels and, yeah i do that yeah. a ton i mean i'm always yeah. getting up and moving i'm always i'm always trying something out or moving or i'm doing something in my chair yeah. i don't have a mirror because observing yourself changes who you are and mm. me a camera does the same thing as a mirror it just changes the way i do things i'm too conscious of the camera some people are better at that than others maybe that's why i don't do it <laughs> Yeah, but you don't uh, you don't necessarily need to film it to have tested it out because you know when you jump and you feel it and you can yeah. watch your feet and figure out if you do it a few times you figure out how that motion is done and then you can do an animated version of that. Yeah, right? I think I think having some kind of experience in some physical expression outside of animation really helps that. Like if you're a dance or you're yoga or a gymnast or you play sports. Because all of those things, in order to get good at them, requires a certain self-awareness of what your body's doing and an adjustment of those things in order to get better. Yeah. And that physical self-awareness, when you come to animation, for me anyways, helps a ton. I love to play sports. And so I'm always trying to, you know, whenever I was playing sports or something, and I play hockey and I'm a goaltender, it's a very technique-oriented position you know if your technique is wrong you're not going to do very well so you got to make little adjustments to how your body does things or how you move and being aware of how to okay when i turn my ankle i got to turn it this way not that way it really makes a huge difference when you come to animation because now when i get up i can re, you know i can kind of reverse engineer what my body's doing because i have that physical mm-hmm. self-awareness yeah do you think men like that's a tendency that physical people people that do a lot of sports uh, are good at uh, physical scenes Mm, gosh, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to check that out. I mean, I, I know some guys who are just fantastic at physical, 
physical animation like you know that that's just you know as a as an animation supervisor or an animation director you look at the skills of your crew and you find out what their strengths are and you try and give them shots that play to their strength because it gives you a higher chance of getting footage back that's really really good for your project um, and some of these guys were just I didn't understand how they were that good at it. Uh, it was just they have a gift, and they're able to do it, and it works. And I was never really much to sit down and say, okay, could you put that in a bottle or something? You know, it's just it's, everybody has, has their thing that they're good at. Yeah, yeah. Um, those of you who are following your blog knows that you've been doing a few screen tests when, where you're experimenting with different styles of shading and very snappy animation and stuff like that. Yeah. Could, could you say something about your inspiration and goals for that project? Um, yeah, boredom. <laughs> <laughs> boredom with my own animation skills, boredom with uh, everybody doing the same thing. Um, I understand the drive behind that, you know, with films and stuff. It's about, you know, what was successful before will be successful again, so let's do like they did it. Um, and so there's a... I had a stretch there where I was... Everything in animation bored me. Hmm. and And so I kind of went back to my inspiration so i busted out my uh, my looney tunes volume three and four <laughs> and just sat there and for days just watched them with my six-year-old son and you know those things were made gosh you know 30 years before i was born 20 30 years before i was born and they were made a long time you know 60 years before he was born and it's still magical it still had something to it and i said Nobody's doing that right now, especially in CG. But is it possible I, to do in CG? I think, it, I think, well, I mean, the guys with Horton did a really good job pushing yeah. it there. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that you kind of have to accept the limitations of the medium. Um, and, you know, like to stop, you know, computer is kind of like a weird hybrid between hand drawn and stop motion and live action. You know, it's this weird, it's got pieces of each. And it can be pushed to emulate one to a certain degree of success, another one maybe to a higher degree of success, and another one to another degree of success. I think anima computer animation is can very, very successfully emulate stop motion. And I think it can do a very good job of emulating live action. I mean, all the Star Wars movies and the VFX projects show that. And it's doing a better job of emulating hand-drawn but there's a certain aspect to the way it's rendered, to the physicality of things. It just it can only get so close to that. Yeah. And I wanted to see, well, okay, what are what's in the way? What's what are the boundaries? Is it is it a technical thing or is it just a mindset thing? It's probably so, a mix, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh for so what I wanted to do was I wanted to make sure that whatever was in the way wasn't a mindset thing. Hmm. So I, I tried as much as possible to just use off the shelf software solutions nothing special or crazy or goofy you know stuff that anybody with a copy of maya and access to a free rig on the internet can do it's just are we using our minds are we always looking at this solution from the same angle what if we tip it upside down what if we walk around to the back side of it and look at it from there so really it was a lot of a lot of boredom and a desire to try and push and find something new um, mainly just in the way you think about things yeah do you think you're going to continue on that, on that thing and develop something maybe or? Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that's actually um, where I want to take my own personal stuff. I mean, when it comes to, you know, paying gigs, 
Um, I did recently do a paying gig that that employed me for that style. It was really kind of cool. Mm. Um, but uh, most of the paying gigs are just you know a, an an extension or a continuation of the the CG film style. And you know I'm good at it, and I, I I can do it, and I get my enjoyment out of doing it to that level. But for personal stuff, like you know, after hours when I'm not doing anything for anybody else, um, I want to go more in that direction. Yeah. So you think you're becoming more of an artist the older you get? <laughs> Are you gonna start painting painting soon? Yeah. I mean, I've kind of I've kind of tinkered around with that. Um, artist is a word that always kind of intimidated me. Um, and I don't really think of myself as one. I just think of myself. I just think of myself as a guy who likes to do different things that are fun. Um, and I'm curious um, to a fault. <laughs> and, and so I, I always, and I always expect a lot out of myself. I'm very self-critical and very highly analytical of myself. So whenever I feel myself falling into a rut, um, I challenge myself to try and find something new. Find find something that that pushes me in my my mental limits. Like right now, I'm I'm actually, for the first time in my life, I'm actually learning how to ride a motorcycle. You know, it's just because it's something <laughs> different. You know, something new. I'm not going all Harley or anything. It's just got a cheap little bike because I got exposed to it in Brazil. And I thought, okay, well, this is this is a challenge. It's something different. <laughs> and so for me, it's just about pushing myself and finding something different. Um, and and. That's where that's really where I want to go with it, and so the idea of being more of an artist, I don't know if it's so much that as it is just this is a different direction to find something new. Yeah, I just heard a lot of animators that are older. That I'm not saying you're old, but <laughs> <laughs> like when uh, Glenn Keane talked about what, what animation could become eventually. Mm -hmm. I think maybe it's incorporating some of that stuff in. Uh, What's that new movie he's working on? Rapunzel he's working on? Yeah, Rapunzel, yeah. And Richard Williams has always been talking about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. because there's, when you're younger, just making something move good is, yeah. is like, oh. And then doing something professional is like, oh. And then doing something really, really good professional is, ah. Oh. But after mm -hmm. a while, you're like, um, it's a job. You know, it yeah. just becomes, it just becomes a job. And you got to find ways to keep excited about it and keep growing or else I think you just get, you just get cold. Mm. Um, and you know, so that's, that's my thing that's driving it is in, and I could have made gosh, a number of shorts in the time I've taken just to dink around with some ideas on one, just from an artistic standpoint. But to me, it's, it's like, if I'm going to do something, I want to do something that, that, you know, when somebody watches, do they say, no, that's something I haven't seen before. Not that, you know, there's anything wrong with doing what's been done before. Um, you know, it's oftentimes financially very rewarding. But, um, yeah. you know, when it, if I'm going to put some, you know, if I'm going to put years of my own personal time, blood, sweat, and tears and money into something, when it's all said and done, I don't want somebody to say, yeah, that was okay. <laughs> or, yeah, that's just like this other thing I saw. No, I'm like, no, nah, I mean... I have enough of an ego to think that if I'm going to put that much time and effort and pain into it, I want someone to walk away and say, you know, that was a really fresh way of taking on something. Yeah. Do you think that now that it's so much quicker to learn to be good at animation than it was, say, 80 years ago, <laughs> um, that we will end up with a lot of um, young animators getting into that area quicker? I don't know. 
I'm not so sure that it's easier to learn animation now than it was then. Um, I think there's more there's more resources available now, but I don't know that that makes it easier. It just makes uh, makes the path less lonely, and it might mm. accelerate some things um, in some ways. But kind of harking back to what we were talking about about how a person learns animation, I'm mm. not so sure there's a lot you can do to accelerate that. Um, so, you know, there's guys who are professionals younger but i don't know that they are necessarily any farther along than they would be some other time in history um so it's you know i mean everybody is like oh chuck jones is you know is is a genius animator from the golden era but if you take a look at his first oh gosh two three years worth of short films he did for warners when he was a director they're Mm -hmm. they're pathetic they're horrible they're just not interesting they're you know snuffles the mouse and it's just like oh dear goodness how did he ever you know, <laughs> it's it's easy to forget that these people often worked with animation for twenty years before they were declared geniuses. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's like oh well, you know, nineteen as a nineteen forties and nineteen fifties era Chuck Jones is just like genius, and, and it, <laughs> it is, it is. That's that's genius stuff. But you know, he had already been a directing animator for eight years by the time the forties came around. You know, eight years. A lot of guys, you know, in 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 today's world, that's a you, career today. Yeah, if you've worked <laughs> on two films, you know, you're you're an experienced pro, and you might mm-hmm. only be out of school four years. Exactly. You know, so it's it's a different. We we just look at things differently now. So I'm not so sure that it's easier or any faster now. I just think it's it's easier for younger people to get work mm. um, as an animator. But especially I don't know, now. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know that that makes us any better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I think will be interesting is what happens in, you know, say another 10, 15 years when the people from my generation of CG animators really kind of starts hitting their stride as, I guess, as artists. When they start hitting their peak years of, of doing something, if they're not burnt out, it could be pretty neat to see what they do. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, so what's the hardest part of animation? What do you struggle most with? Starting. Yeah, just figuring out what to, how to approach yeah. the scene. Um, yeah, just, you know, just doing it. Um, but that's, that's you know, the perfectionist in me is always hesitant to start something and doing it wrong. But isn't that fun too, the first stage? Yeah, well, blocking for me is once I get going on it, once I start blocking, it's, yeah. it's, it's, euphoric i love blocking because that's where the performance comes to life and you know if i if i could i'd have you know i'd I'd work as a cg animator and i'd have an assistant clean my stuff up for me yeah exactly (laughs) and i would just i would just do the blocking i'd give them the poses the extremes the breakdowns you know and chart the eases and say you just clean it up Mm. because you know f-curve editing and all that stuff just bores me to tears and sometimes it looks better when it's just in blocked mode Right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's what, that's, that energy is what made me pursue the idea of doing less is more animation. Cause you know, there's the artistic style, the visual style of painting things or making renders look more or less realistic. That's mm. one side of the experimentation. The other side is experimentation of motion. You mm. know, what if we're not so literal with the motion? What if we keep the idea of energy being expressed more than physical motion? Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of times, you know, people's pose tests have more life. Yeah. Um, and it's especially true if you take a look at pencil tests, you know, like I got the, 
Beauty and the Beast special edition where they have the entire movie done in either storyboards or pencil tests. Mm. And those scenes with the Beast that, that Keen does in pencil tests are just – I'm sorry. They're just scribbles <laughs> and it's just big, thick graphite pencil on paper and numbers flying all over the place and it's really scratchy. But it's got so much life and energy that seems to be sucked out of it once you clean it up and you know ink it and paint it. It's still really pretty and really impressive all cleaned up, but a lot of that energy gets polished off. And that's why why uh, uh, hand-painted cells look so much better, too. Yeah. Before they started the digital ink inking. Yeah. You could, you could actually see the strokes underneath the paint and mm-hmm. it looked really yeah. good. Yeah, there's, a, there's just something about the, the primary creator's hand yeah. that is is that's where the energy's at, you know? And the problem with, you know, most animation production for even since the beginning is that the whole system is designed to copy what the creator came up with. And each time along the way, something gets lost. It's like making a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. Yeah. You got it the third time through, but something's been lost. And so I feel that with, with, uh, you know, with, with animation. And I even, I get that sense, you know, you're familiar with the, the comic book, um, hero bear by Mike Kunkel. No. What really appealed to me about that Kunkel was a, a Disney animator who then went and made an independent comic became rather popular. The story in and of itself, not the most imaginative thing in the world, but mm-hmm. his, his cells, I mean, his, his pages weren't inked up. He just did his, he did his pencils and they were pretty rough. You can see construction lines and spheres in there still. Yeah. And he just cleaned up right on top of his, his rough sketches. And then he just used uh, a red wash ink for the cape and some other things. So it was just black and white pencil with these red objects. In, and it was really striking because you can see his hand and how it was constructed. And something about that made it so much more impressive than making everything cleaned up, uh, yeah. to me anyways. You know, my my dad was a painter, an artist, mm-hmm. and uh, he hated cartoons and and uh, yeah. So and I asked him about that, and he he's always said that those are just outlines. Where's yeah. the artist? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a there's a certain truth to that, um, and the motion is there. Yeah, and that's that's the thing I guess that kind of draws me to it is. I mean, it's already separated enough on a computer once you get right down to it. I mean, it's completely abstract. I don't even have a pencil line to work with. Mm. Uh, it's just pixels of this puppet I'm moving around. And so there's absolutely no way to distinguish really what, what you know, what did I do here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's just, I mean, we're all egotistical to a certain degree, but something in the artist wants wants to be expressed and it's really really hard to express it through the computer because there's so much between the artist and the audience that kind of gets not gets in the way but it's just you know it's hard to describe so that's why you know when it came to motion you know cg motion has a very particular style to it you know it's Mm. it's on ones it's generally very smooth um we consider it you know the less hitches there are the better the quality is and so there's a certain way of looking at computer animation motion that I said, wait a second, there's something, is that the only good computer <laughs> animation there is? And so I studied stop motion, I studied hand-drawn, I studied cartoons, and I realized 
that why can't we do that on the computer that these guys are doing with pencils or puppets? What is what is what are we losing? And so hmm. that's where I decided to just you know like there's this one test I did on my blog, uh, you know, what the the Samuel Jackson line, "Don't give me attitude" or something. I can't remember what it was, but um, I didn't even I didn't touch an F curve on that at all. I just I just didn't. Uh, and some of those keys are step, some of them are linear, uh, some of them are all together, some of them are by themselves. It's just a you know it's a mishmash of different things. By the end of it, you're like, there's no structure to it, but it starts with structure, and then as I needed a change or as I needed a drawing, I just put it in there, yeah. and I really didn't care if it was smooth. I just wanted it there because it defined what I wanted, and I was really surprised with how successfully it worked. Yeah. I remember seeing one of your, like the first time I went to your website, I saw the the clips with the, the guy with the Ten Commandments. Uh, 15, and then he drops a plate, and it's 10. Oh, oh yeah. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, and I remember that you added some animation later at the later stage where you mm -hmm. become better like yes. after you develop some more techniques. Yes. And I remember looking at that and I looked back at the older stuff where it's more at a, st at a step stage uh -huh. and I thought that looked better yeah. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> and I couldn't explain why because the, the newer one was, uh, or was uh, smoother. Yeah. Um, that's well. interesting. Yeah, well, at the time I did the first one, I didn't know any better. That's all I knew. Mm -hmm. uh, the time I did the second one, I was really trying to improve what, you know, trying to get better at, at what the market expects, you know. Um, and, you know, there's that's that what I'd call the, you know, the film style of animation. And, you know, I had gotten better at it. And I've gotten to the point where I'm, you know, pretty good at it. But, there's a part of me that's just now saying, okay, I got, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I've got the thing that makes, you know, that pays the bills. Now let's do something that I know what I'm doing, but is different. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a fun place to be. Yeah. You're a, you're a part-time blogger. Um, what has <laughs> that done for you? And, um, and does that uh, affect your way of animating or? I, I don't know. I've always had a, I've always had an interest in writing. Um, I tend to write too much, <laughs> like uh, too many words. So um, self-editing is fun, but I don't know that it, I don't know that my writing really affects my animation so much as my big mouth pushes me to kind of put put up or shut up, you know. And does, since does I have inspire you, yeah, yeah. Since it since, since I haven't shut up, I kind of have to put up. <laughs> um, so yeah, there you know. But you're sharing your ideas with so many people all the time. So yeah. I guess you're having more of a conversation going when you're doing stuff like that. Yeah, it is It is neat to kind of think things through and put an idea out there and see what people think, um, see if I'm completely off my rocker or if, if there's anybody else, out, anybody else out there who's saying, you know, I've been thinking the same thing. <laughs> um, there's There's that side of it. And then there's some things I know people have been thinking, but in the business of animation, we're too afraid to say it because it's such a small business. Mm. Yeah. Um, you don't want to step on anyone's toes. Exactly. So, um, and I've, you know, I haven't been too shy about stepping on the the occasional toe here and there because I figured, shouldn't you know, be. no, you shouldn't be. But you know, every every culture needs its profit, um, and a profit isn't somebody who is necessarily telling you what the future is. It's just somebody who tells you what the deal is. 
you know um people think you know profits uh you know from and i'm looking at it from you know a context of the, of the biblical standpoint where the people say oh the prophets they made predictions about the future but really if you look at it the primary job was to just tell the people what was up you know mm. saying dude you're messed up or you're not doing this right and if you don't change something bad's going to happen um or you know you need you know this this is what's wrong with our society it's 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 wrong we need to change this um or this is the goal that we should be aspiring to that's really the job of a prophet is to just kind of call us out and there yeah. aren't you know in every culture and subculture i think needs a prophet and i don't know that you know there are many in animation um especially the cg side uh, hand drawn there's all kinds of bickering and stuff but it gets pretty petty but the CG side, there weren't there weren't too many people who are saying, okay, I, I know I've had plenty of lunch table conversations with people in this business, and people are seeing this and they know it exists, but nobody says anything about it. Yeah. So I, I kind of you know stuck my neck out there and said some things about it, and you know got in some trouble, but also got you know a lot of emails saying, dude, that was right on. Yeah. So it's kind of how it goes. You're gonna get you're gonna get rocks thrown at you sometimes, but it does it does. When I write these things, I am very well aware that people are going to be saying, "Well, why don't you show us?" You know, when, you know, okay, you got a big mouth, but are you any good? <laughs> so there's there's that side of it that whenever I put something up or whenever I talk about something, I want to make sure I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you spend a lot of time thinking out that before you start writing, or is just... recently? No, no. I mean, I haven't blogged much in the past year. I mean, I've kind of kind of been on a different track in life for the past year. You had, you had months where you were like blogging two posts a day and yeah. now it's like a month between every post. Is that just the time? Yeah. It's seasons of life thing. You know, some yeah. seasons of life, you're more, you're more in tune with some things and other seasons you're walking a different path for a while. Um, and you know, just the last year has just been, you know, a different season of life for me where that was, I don't know, will I ever go back to where I was, you know, for about a year or two there where I was just constantly rattling off a bunch of different things. I don't know if I'll ever get back to that. Nope. Uh, we'll see what happens. I don't feel like I have um, a real drive to do that. Whereas before I felt like, oh, I got a blog, I got something to say. Yeah. Um, or even I got a blog and a lot of people write me saying they read it, so I feel like I got to deliver. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's that, there's that side of the artist too that wants to please people. And you but that's know, a, that's a big problem with blogging. That once you start blogging a lot, um, mm -hmm. then there's kind of a demand demand out there, and you feel like you gotta deliver something all the time. And if you yeah. don't have anything to deliver, there's really no point in just writing something. You can yeah. push yourself and come up with stuff, but yeah. And then uh, sometimes when you push yourself, and I've I've done this, you know, where you push yourself to come up with a post, you you, you say something that. You know, not that it's harsh or anything, but you just, it's obvious you don't know what the heck you're talking about. It's not well thought through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not well thought through. It's not well researched. It's not, yeah. you know, there's a certain level of uh, critical analysis hasn't been done and it's blatantly obvious. And that's always embarrassing. Um, <laughs> At so, least you're, blo you're thinking. You're not just copying something from Cartoon Brew and just, you know, writing it in well, your words. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, there's one side of blogging which, you know, I think half the blogging world is just basically pointing at other blogs. Um, and I would do that amount, but I, 
a certain amount, but I always tried to have something to say. Uh, but even now, I, I don't even, you know, the, the season of life where I'm at, I don't even hardly keep up or read a lot of the blogs I used to. So I don't, I don't even know what the conversation out there is. It's a lot of hard work to read a lot of blogs. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, I was takes up I, a lot of time. Yeah, I was spending two hours a day going through my through my feed reader, and mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, there's something really <laughs> off about this. And especially and, when you realize you you're not reading half of them, or yeah. one third of them. You're just well, scrolling through a lot of them, and yeah. yeah. Or, or the worst part is, you know, you're realizing that you don't even want to animate anymore. You just want to sit and read, <laughs> and yeah. and it's easy to fall into this um, pundit mode, you know, where you don't do anything but you sit around and talk about people who do things. Yeah. And I don't. Know, to me, I mean, I'd I'll be honest. I fell into that mode for a little bit, and and I never felt really, never felt really good about it. So. You know, taking a break for a while was good. Kind of cleans the palate a little bit, erases the blackboard. Um, you know, and and I, you know, my feed reader, you know, my site feeds go down, and you know, I notice my link is removed from a certain site or another site <laughs> because there's nothing going on on my page. And mm. before that would have been like, oh gosh, I got to do something. And now <laughs> it's just like, well, that's fine. Yeah, it's you not know. a competition. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a competitive person, so there was a while there where it was. <laughs> But it, it, actually, it's more interesting when you when you uh, if you if you in your feed reader once in a while there comes up a post from some blog that doesn't post that often. Yeah, that's more interesting actually because then you know it's just it's something they put out usually. Yeah, and, and you know I have one in there the the oh, I forgot the fella's name but the Temple of the Seven Golden Camels the guy who writes about film and storytelling mm. he's a storyboard artist at DreamWorks and I can't remember his name okay. but. Every one of his posts is like a two thousand word treatise. That's it's like it's worth its weight in gold. But only writes like he writes one like every three months. Mm. And I treasure those when they come across. I'm like, okay, I'm setting aside an hour to think about this. <laughs> now that's that's somebody who's doing something that that you know I appreciate that a lot. Um, and so I've I've made a kind of a new deal with myself. In the past, I would spout off a lot of opinions about things, but not a lot of usefulness. Um, if that makes any sense. I mean, yeah. um, and so I've kind of made a new deal with myself. If I write something on my blog, it's got to be useful. It's either got to be something where, where I'm teaching or we're learning or I'm showing something that's new and different or I'm, I'm trying something new and I'm putting it out there to see if it even works. Mm. You know, but the idea of sitting back and, and kind of holding court over what everybody else is doing, uh, I got that out of my system. I don't need to do that anymore. Um, let's talk a bit about the business, uh, sure. the animation business. Um, today it's uh, dominated by companies like Pixar and DreamWorks and Blue Sky. Mm -hmm. um, do you think there there will ever be room for smaller companies with smaller budgets and stories out of the ordinary? Yeah, I, I think the the smaller budgets and smaller studios thing is coming online now. Um, what you're going to find is um, more outsourcing of those lower budget things. Yeah. Uh, and, I guess we have that in Europe already, but they're not right. being seen in in the states. Right. Yeah, and there's a there's a general tendency a lot of times for to be an um, you know an American centric outlook on animation, but if you take a look at the majority of what's being made, most of it's being made by mid sized to small sized companies, and <clears throat> a lot of the a lot of the stories are not your typical buddy movie. 
Um, it's just that they don't get a lot of press because they're not making $200 million in domestic box office. What about the animation for grown-ups? Animation for grown-ups. Um, you know, there's, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. Um, you know, some people, the way I look at it is if you've got a good story to tell, tell it. Yeah. Um, and if it's appropriate for all ages, great. And if it's not, that's fine. Just, you know, make sure you don't trick anybody into thinking that it is. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to see a movie that wasn't so physical, that was more like a conventional movie and more like a, like an indie movie, something like that? Well, yeah, it would be if there was a reason to animate it. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest catch right now. Um, a lot of these quieter, more introspective films, um, it doesn't make a lick of sense to animate them because <laughs> the, level, uh, the level of expression in the characters, just we can kind of shadow box with expressions in animation. I mean, even in CG. Um, but there's something about a, a real-life person. It, it takes no effort whatsoever. It's just cheap, you know, put a camera on them. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't take two weeks to get that three seconds of <laughs> really, really deep emotional acting. It's, it's right there. You, okay, it took three seconds. Okay, let's do another, let's do another take. Mm. Um, so if there's a reason to animate it. You could do it with animals. <laughs> no, I think uh, if you've ever seen The Sun and the Moon um, by John Kane Maker, won the Oscar two years ago. It mm. was just uh, an interview you know, uh, of a guy interviewing his, his, you know, imaginary interviewing his dead father. Mm. And, you know, the animation was to illustrate the emotions or the energies of the responses and, um, and how it, that was a film that was definitely, it was a, it was a grown up film. Um, and it, it had some really deep themes to it, but, the animator, the filmmaker, found a, a reason to animate it. And it was, you know, the art actually elevated the idea. Um, so I think if you're going to do a grown-up film that's animated, make sure that you ha you're, you're, you're telling a story that the art can elevate it instead of illustrate it. Yeah. Okay, so if you're going to illustrate a grown-up story that's quiet and psychological and isn't action-oriented and isn't physical, I think it's pretty much just a, an academic waste of time. But if you have something that can be beyond just illustration but becomes an expression, an elevation of, of what's going on there, um, you know that Waking Life film that was done, that link, first Linklater film, had elements of it, you know, where he's, he's in this dream sequence and that was – you know, those reasons to kind of animate that film because the dream world is very strange, mm. you know. And so it was, you know, so there's, there's as that aspect of it too. But that's not going to get, that's not going to get the, the family crowd into the theaters. But I mean, a, a movie could be funny without, without being made for kids. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, sure. So, um, did you ever see uh, Free Jimmy? Um, no, I didn't. I saw some clips and stuff online, but I haven't I haven't been able to find it here in the states. That is made from a, a comic series by a, a Norwegian guy that was always writing about his uh, childhood and yeah, all his friends and the crazy stories that that that, that happened during his uh, teens. That's that's the drug addicted element that they're trying to free, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's a it's a really crazy psychedelic story. 
and yeah. it's uh, really fun. It's a surreal world somehow, and I don't I don't know if it could have been done with actors. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> and that's the thing is if you have a, if you have a story, regardless whether it's for kids or grown-ups or whole families, if you're going to animate it, make sure it there's a reason to animate it. You know, um, like Kung Fu Panda is, you know, it's a it's a talking animal flick. But I looked at that and I thought that's a film that begged to be animated, and because it was animated, it was better for it. Mm, yeah. You know, um, whereas you know, a film, you know, there's lots of them that you're just kind of like, why did you animate that? You know? but, <laughs> like the Anne Frank thing that they made a trailer for? I don't know if it's yeah, production. Yeah, it's, but... that's, that's more of an academic study, in my opinion. Yeah. To How can we do it? Yeah, it feels kind of useless. Yeah. Or uh, pointless, I mean. Uh, yeah, Final Fantasy, that first movie was like that, too. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's an, it was an academic exercise. Yeah. Do you have any favorite animated movies? Oh gosh, yeah. I Your favorite whole, live action movies. Oh man, you know, when it comes to movies, I'll be honest with you, I don't watch a ton of them. No. <laughs> um, I <laughs> like no pieces. Time. I like I like pieces of movies. You know, like there's sections of animated movies that really inspire me. But a lot of times, the entire movie leaves me kind of, eh. um, you know, like Treasure Planet. It's not much of a movie, but the section where Jim Hawkins is introduced to uh, Mister Silver, John Silver. Uh, you know, it's an amazing section of animation. It's it's mm-hmm. awe inspiring how good that is. You know who I did like, it? Oh yeah, it was uh, it was Glenn Keane did it. Mm, um, of he did a lot of the silver stuff. I can't remember who did the Hawkins stuff, but yeah. I actually like that movie. It was yeah, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, there's parts of it that were like, ah, it's really really neat, and I get charged out of it. And other parts, I'm like, oh, you can keep the rest of it. And I feel <laughs> that way about um, a lot of films, you know, and. You know, there's pieces of them that I like, but as far as like a favorite, no, nah, it's hard for me to nail down a favorite. Um, of CG films, I thought The Incredibles was really good. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Kung Fu Panda has really got me charged. I thought I that haven't was. Seen it. You should go see it. Yeah, um, yeah. I should. You know, I was kind of like, mm, DreamWorks, okay, they've had, they've hit some, <laughs> they've missed some, and I'm not so yeah. sure I. I'm always skeptical about DreamWorks movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. their, their brand of storytelling works well for some people, but it doesn't it's very always. Pop culture. Yeah, references. It, yeah, and that 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 appeals to a lot of people. It never really appealed to me, but this really was like, wow, there's nothing in that. And then once I heard that uh, one of the directors was Mark Osborne. He's the guy who made the Oscar-nominated short More, his little claymation film, a couple years ago. Okay. I thought, okay, there's a storyteller involved here. <laughs> let's see, let's see if they let him tell a story. And and it was, you know, so that one's right up there. Um, yeah. And, Live action movies. Oh man, gosh! Uh, Do you watch you know, like old stuff? It seems like everyone. Is I like watching. old stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a huge. I have a guilty pleasure. I love 1950s space films or horror films. <laughs> I, I just these B films are awesome. Like you know, the day the Earth stood still, yeah. or you know, uh, when worlds collide, or Forbidden Planet. I mean, they were big budget films yeah. at their time, but I just love that stuff. <laughs> I can eat it up all day. Um, you know, you know the podcast uh, Film Spotting. No, I don't. They just had a a marathon with the seventies sci- sci-fi movies. Mm-hmm. So I watched a bunch of those old movies. It's not the fifties or sixties, but it's it's the seventies, yeah. and that's that's some oh, wow. funny funny stuff. Yeah, see, see the seventies. I, I was a child in the seventies, and I found myself utterly repulsed by society at the time. So <laughs> I don't have a lot of love for the seventies. Uh, 
but the fifties and sixties, that was, you know, I was born in the late sixties. So those were before my time. They, 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 I don't have any baggage, Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I like, I like older stuff. Hitchcock and um, stuff, maybe. Hmm? Hitchcock and is that something you? Oh, I love Hitchcock. Hitchcock is like my favorite director. Yeah, yeah. his his stuff really. You know, Rear Window is a genius film. Oh, if yeah. I had to pick a, a live action film that was my favorite, it'd probably be Rear Window. Um, I would maybe say the same. Because there's or maybe there's Twelve Ask- Angry Men. Have you seen that? I've seen that. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, you know, it's just there's something about the the, the craft of filmmaking back then was. It just seems so professional. It seems so restrained, but they got so yeah. much out of it. Um, and they didn't really rely on a lot of noise in BAM to get you to go. And there's a certain element where cinema needs spectacle. And Star Wars and Jaws really introduced that in the 70s. But when I watch live action films, I like quieter films. Um, things that are, you know, got a little more than two or three layers to them. Um, there was a film that Jack Nicholson did a number of years ago called About Schmidt, and yeah, uh, it's a fantastic film, but it's really quiet, you mm-hmm. know. And there's no reason in the world to animate anything at all like that. <laughs> no. uh, so if if I like live action films, it's because they're not they're not animated in any way. Yeah. Um, if I like animated films, it's because they're not live action films in any way. Yeah. Um, we're gonna do. Two more things. Um, okay. The first thing is: there anything else you want to mention, or anything you like? Any anger towards the business? Anger? <laughs> no. I don't know. Anything yeah. you you have uh, you want to say? Well, I would just I would just say that it would be good to keep exploring new things. I, I understand the business side of it, and that uh, there's always a need to kind of stick with what audiences know. Yeah. But it would be neat if. Uh, more people would be willing to take a chance and try something that audiences don't know. And, you know, because there was a time where computer animated, what the heck is that? <laughs> Nobody's going to see that. Who's going to want to watch a bunch of numbers? We just had no clue what it would mean. Yeah. And then along comes uh, Toy Story, and everybody's perception of what's possible changes. Or, uh, you know, a sarcastic movie. You know, Disney, no, family films aren't sarcastic. And then along comes Shrek, and everybody's just <laughs> like, oh, that there's something completely there's a different approach here yeah. you know comedy or this or that or and just keep you know have the willingness to not just try and repeat yesterday's success but try something different you think you, know? you could be that person no no <laughs> <laughs> I, i really don't have um an overwhelming desire to work in a big studio and and work on a big major motion picture film budget for animation yeah. you've never thought about starting your own studio um I mean, no, not real. I'm a long time ago. I did a long time ago. I wanted so much to run my own studio and hire people, but um, you don't you know, get that, to do much animation when you have your own studio. I've been there. You know, I, I've been a director. I've been an animation director. I've been in management. I've been in positions where I'm, in, you know, a, a key decision maker in various studios of different sizes, and I realize that, you know, I've had a chance to see that, and I thought, well, it's not as cool as I thought it was. So um, I've kind of come down off that hill on the other side and um, kind of back where I started, just being an animator, doing freelance, and yeah. and I, there's a lot of there's a lot of flexibility here that I like. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, uh, last thing, I usually I like to do a, a quick uh, either or uh, question round. Uh, okay. So I give you like two alternatives, and you 
you give me a short answer. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> just a few of them. Sure. <laughs> so let's start. Um, Pixar or Ardman? Ardman. IK or FK? Depends. <laughs> um, um, if you have to choose. FK. 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 Uh, are you a Mac or are you a PC? Uh, I used to be a Mac, but now I'm a PC. <laughs> Close-ups or crowd, crowd scenes? Oh, Close-ups. Obama or McCain? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you have to um, go vote. <laughs> I, I have to I have to go vote. Um, I guess I'm under no illusions about the usefulness of either of them, but I guess you I'll don't vote. have to answer. <laughs> yeah, I guess I won't. That was the last one. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. It was fun. Hopefully you get something useful out of it. <laughs> Hopefully somebody else get something useful out of this if if everything was recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about this taking so long, but I, it was just a blast. Okay. No, no big deal. It's, it's good. It was fun. And I'll tell everybody, keep an eye on that Norwegian animation scene. It's hopping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sure. Bye. Bye. That was part two, the last part of my interview with Keith Lango. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any opinions on the show, please contact us by sending an email to feedback at animationconversation.com. Next time we have an interview with animator Hans Gunnar Brekke, who is currently working at Tippit Studios in San Francisco. I sat down and had a talk with him earlier this summer and he had a lot of interesting stuff to share. So this will be a real cotton candy of a show. And until next time, have fun and animate! Good night, kid.